Hey, hi, welcome to Cold Turkey. Uh, this week I'm with Jeff. Jeff has uh, an incredible story to share and, you know, like I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Um, that, you know, like I, I don't want to waste any of your time and your precious time. Um, I'm just going to say that, you know, like if, if you're willing to share the podcast, um, if you're willing to forward the links to your friends and peers, uh, that's quite appreciated. I love uh, the fact that the, the podcast is growing and um, appreciate uh, every moment I spend with my guests. Uh, uh, and this week it was with Jeff, so uh, enjoy. Hey, hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, first question, I well, it's actually a, a twofold question. From what yeah. region are you? Uh, and the second is, how's your pandemic doing? <laughs> yeah, well, that's an interesting question because I just moved from Arizona to Oklahoma a month ago. So yeah, I've, I've kind of been in a little bit of both, um, but I was, had been spending a lot of time in Oklahoma during the quarantine anyway, and then I moved here. But um, I, I, I don't I wouldn't say we're any different than anywhere else. Um, I don't know anybody personally that's been affected by COVID. I've been very fortunate and blessed in my family that nobody has. Um, I think adapting to things, um, a lack of customer service, as we were discussing before the show at places, um, just general inconvenience, just, you know, which is, we're Americans, we want everything now. And I think, honestly, it's teaching a lot of people patience, yep. which is good. Um, cause nothing is happening now. Um, I know that I use it as a practice of delaying gratification because, uh, you know, I need that being an alcoholic and a drug addict, like delaying gratification is what recovery is all about anyway. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been, a, it's been a change. Um, but during the, I, I view pandemic positively because I just moved home to my family after eight years during the pandemic. So, um, and I got this job that allowed me to move home during the pandemic when I was visiting here. So I have, this is weird, but I have some positive correlations to the pandemic just from personal life, not the world, but my personal life and the things that have happened during it. How were you impacted by the, you know, like I, I've had someone a few, a few episodes ago that I think she had something like three weeks prior to, you know, like the, the, um, the quarantine. So she had like, a few a few meetings only of hugging people and seeing people face to face and then suddenly uh she had to go all in on virtual and um i myself even 15 years in i found it tough to go virtual you know like i i yes. you know like for me it was it was a you know, like I, I, I recorded the pandemic special both in french and english and actually um shared you know like that I, you know like i had a hard time um not only finding my place but you know like finding the warmth and you know like the the, the I connection don't, the, yeah exactly you know like there was definitely you know like so there, there was something definitely something missing if you know like instead of a hug i had i got someone that has like a beach behind him you know like it was i couldn't fucking figure it out <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, de I define COVID as a lack of connection. 
that's what stands out to me because I try to go to, I'm Catholic and I try to go to church online and, you know, I'm watching TV during it or I'm, I'm like, you know, going to get a drink during mass or in meetings are the same thing. There's just, I'm not, I'm, it's hard to be present. Um, the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that lack of, you know, the hugs and the getting the, and the fellowship and all that, I just, you know, I almost, I didn't even go to a meeting for four to six weeks. I was, I had, I drove from Arizona to Oklahoma. I didn't want to be stuck in an apartment with my toddler by myself for three months. So we came back to be with my family. Cause I just, that sounds like the definition of hell to me, nothing to do in an apartment with a crazy toddler, you yeah. know, like, so we, we came back here and it, you know, just that transition. Um, I just, I didn't go to meetings for a little bit. I, now I did talk to, to a people in recovery every day. Sure. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do a grata text with 15 guys every single morning upon awakening because I, I wake up not grateful for anything. I, I you know, most days I wake up mm, and I do a gratitude text with 15 other guys, 14 or 15 other guys in recovery. And it helps me connect to gratitude early in the day. So I did that the whole pandemic. Um, I, I really thrive on structure and routine. I'm sure you can relate to that. Yep. Um, and I was very strong in my getting up early and doing my prayer and meditation and doing my self-care, washing my face, making my bed. And, and I had five to eight built-in things that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter where I travel, I have five to eight things I can ground myself with every day to still go to bed and say I did five to eight positive things for myself today. So. I, I've been doing that for quite a while now, and that was very helpful for me. And then I then I started to miss meetings, and then I went to a Zoom meeting, and it was like, ah, this is this is tough. Like, I mean, you know, people, you know, like I I've heard horror stories, you know, like you know, like beer bottle clinging, um, people Zoom bombing with with racial slurs, and you know, like I've heard that. Yesterday, I heard about that in my in a uh, group in California. My sponsor was telling me somebody was. Blasting yeah, the N word, exactly. Crazy. And, and that's crazy. That's nuts, you know. And 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 that just hearing that and inappropriate behavior. And I mean by that, you know, like people, you know, like you you, you wouldn't attend a meeting, a physical meeting in your underwear. So why the fuck would you show up on a Zoom meeting? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> people go to the bathroom during it. It's like turn it was, your video. Turn your video camera off. It, it was it, it was so bad that you know, like I immediately tried to reach out to some of the let's call them the elders. You know, like saying, do we have like any guidelines that we could spread across? You know, like just and and sure enough, I think it was um, I think it was AA initially that had a superb structured guidebook for. Um, for both the the you know like anyone officiating those online meetings that you know I had that was super properly explained so that you know like even if you weren't sure if you should or should not kick someone out or mute someone or whatever um, they had the full procedure and I loved it you know like because yeah. no one you know like you can't trust your instinct on that, you know, like you, because you could lose your mind and just say, you fucking moron, you know, like go wear a shirt or whatever, you know, like, so there, there was, it was, it was uh, padded enough that, you know, sure. you could rely on this and say, okay, this is, this is the guide. I'm going to be proceeding with that guide. And, you know, like if, if I need you to 
to be kicked out. You know, like I have good reasons because the guy told me so. And, you know, and so, um, but then again, you know, like you, you just said it, you know, like it, it was, it, it was lacking connection. And, you know, like that, that's pretty much what's the toughest piece of it. Uh, even though, like, for example, my sponsor, you know, like I visited him a few times because, you know, like I, I just needed it, you know, like I needed to be in proximity of someone and, you know, like the, the, the human connection was necessary for me. And, and that podcast has helped me a lot. Sure enough, you know, like the, you know, like the, there's a difference between being 50 in a room and being just two, you know, like that there's definitely something in terms of the connection that's, you know, like the, it, it, I appreciated the fact that I had that podcast running. I, I could say yeah, that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's weird with, with all the podcasts and zoom meetings. Um, cause I did an interview on the news the other day for my work for overdose deaths and, we're, I feel like we're skating on the traditional 11 a lot. You know, like I, I stay away from saying I'm in AACANA. I just say I'm in recovery because I'm not a spokesperson for AA, yep. you know, and I'm not a spokesperson for CA or any of it. So I try to, I don't really talk about those things too much because I certainly don't want anybody to watch this and be like, oh, it's press, radio, and films. No, this is just about a recovery talk about day to day life. And that's kind of how I keep it. So, absolutely. And at the same time, Jeff, you know, like I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. You know, like I, I sure. would, I would say that, you know, like most of the testimonials that I got in the, in the past year since running that podcast, um, there's a lot of people that actually are telling me that, you know, like they don't see themselves crossing doors, those doors okay. because, you know, like most of these fraternities and I'm, you know, like I, 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 pretty much attended all of them, you know, like, and I mean, and I mean, the substance abuse ones, you know, like, um, not necessarily like the, the effective or emotional dependence and all that, you know, like, but most of the substance abuse ones, you know, like I've attended, um, but very little of them have embarked in the, have you seen any Facebook posts inviting you to a meeting, any Instagram post of, you know, like I haven't, you know, like, so, yeah. so for that next generation coming, if we don't, if if those if those fraternities don't make themselves open to that you know like those those new communication and 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 you know like and transmission of information to make it uh, more welcoming. Yeah, um, no, I agree. I, and there's a difference between being a spokesperson and saying you represent twelve step. Exactly. Like this, which is just talking about issues with Zoom meetings or issues like there's a total difference between the yep. two and. I kind of freaked out after that news thing the other day because the reporter um, asked questions that kind of showed she didn't know much about what we know. And I, I, the last thing I wanted for her was to go, this is Jeff and he represents, you know, oh. X, Y, Z. I, you don't know, but I was like, I, so I, I messaged her after and I was like, please don't, just don't say I'm a representative of 12 step program. Exactly. And, and I freaked out a little bit. I was like, oh no. But I, I, I appreciate when, um, as I, you know, like I, when I say appreciate, what I mean is that, you know, like I wouldn't want the interpretation of the the anonymity of the, you know, like the foundation of it all, that um, we we would um, almost like censor ourselves to say that these twelve step program have saved our lives, you know, like and yeah. and because of that, and that when you cross those doors, that seems to be so maybe cold for some. There are a lot of warmth in there, you know. Like, there's a lot of, you know, like the the people are. I've I've met 
fantastic people in those rooms, you know, like, and, and that's sure. pretty much all, you know, like that's, I'm not going to explain how the 12 steps works, you know, like you make, make your, you know, like people have the, the responsibility to do their research and all that. But, you know, like sure. in terms of, you know, like if, if I can just influence one individual to cross those doors and go see what's inside, I've won, you know, I like, can, and, and yeah. you know, so, yeah. so for me, it's yeah. just when, you know, like sometimes the interpretation of it is just don't talk about them. Like, no, 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 we should, we should be able to say those places are fantastic. They save millions of people lives. And, yes. and, um, that's a, that's different than representing it or being a e spokesperson. Exactly. For it. You know, so I just, I do, I do, I'm starting to do more stuff like this, more stuff with interviews. And I just, I have to constantly, not constantly, but I just kind of, I'm learning how to present it in such a way to where we're like what we're talking about right here. Yep. Just in no way do I speak for AA basically, you know, yeah, so exactly, um, you know, that's kind of where RCA or whatever, by the way, this is a red solo cup, but there's just a great Mio in it. Every <laughs> <laughs> I keep drinking my red solo cup and I, I've never really drank much like alcohol out of a red solo cup, but people see this and it's probably a trigger. Um, but it's just water with Mio. <laughs> so don't worry, Jeff. We're just audio, but you know, like you, you, it's important that you say it because I saw it. But I, I was like, that's great equipment for beer pong, but I've never played it. You know, like so. <laughs> uh, oh, that's fun. I just, I'm just still unpacking my apartment. I just moved in last weekend, so I just, I don't want to do the dishwasher yet. So I'm just using these for right now. <laughs> okay, so Jeff, as I do every single week, um, I'm going to be rewinding that tape of your life story and, um. The, the the first thing I usually ask my, my my guests is tell me about, you know, like either the first time you touch um, a substance and it, it, it impacts you or you witnessing substance uh, contact, you know, like, you know, like some, some are, you know, like their parents have been, you know, like drinking and it, it has impacted their lives. Um, so I'm rewinding that tape to, you know, like pretty much you know, like what's the, what's the, uh, family picture like and you know like what's the what's your first memory of of relation in general with substance sure um I, you know just just for um i have some tragedies in my family revolving around drugs and alcohol so i'm not going to mention that because they happened after this question you're asking me now um i remember um, and I don't have any memories before this of alcohol, but I do remember um, going with my uncle to the VFW and I was going into ninth grade and he had a he had a band and they were playing all sorts of stuff. And um, it's still a fun memory. That's a fun memory. It was a fun night. So they were playing Stone Temple Pilots and that was my group. You know, I mean, that, that was what 1993. Yep. So they were huge. Um, and they, they started they started singing Cracker Man. Um, but before that, my uncle had been dip, or like putting a little bit of whiskey in my Coke, you know, like just kind of, you know, yep. not much, didn't take much, but I jumped up in the middle of Cracker Man and started singing the song cause I knew all the words and, and you know what, what I'm getting at is, is my first, um, experience with alcohol was just the fearlessness. I had been so scared for so many years. I went through some really bad bullying um, in sixth and seventh grade. And I didn't, I didn't know how to talk about it or, or tell my parents. And, and I just, in those developing years, when you're 11 and 12 and 13 to go to school every day and just get pummeled mercilessly, physically, verbally, um, 
it had a, a very severe psychological impact on me. So I've always been a, a, a bright guy, a social guy. Um, but I, I could never walk away from a group of people after sixth and seventh grade without thinking they were making fun of me. Um, because for the most part in sixth and seventh grade, they were, they were making fun of me cause I heard it, you know, and it, it, it I believe my alcoholism started way before the first drink. Um, I started to feel alone and isolated without friends. Um, you know, I think the one thing that all of us feel is we feel different from other people. Do we not? Yeah. Right. And then when you throw on some, some mid to high level trauma that tells you that you're different, you stick out, you don't belong. You aren't, you aren't part of the group. Um, because I had transferred into a school, um, went out when I started drinking, I, I just wanted to feel that way all the time. You know, I just, I wasn't scared anymore. And, and I think that most alcoholics and drug addicts can relate to that, you know, and I had a good time in high school. I didn't drink a ton. I, I blew my knee out. I had, I took pain meds. I didn't have an issue with pain meds then. Um, but the next moment, um, I learned how to blackout drink in college the next moment with the substance that was a life definer for me uh, was when I was 24 and, and my next door neighbor in San Diego um, brought over cocaine. And I was already drunk and passed out. It was about 1.30 or 2 in the morning. Um, I really trusted this guy. And I had said no to drugs before. And I just like, you know what? Let's do it. You know, so I did a little line of coke. And I tell you what, that night, probably more than any night in my life, even with suicides in my family, even with that night was probably the most defining night of my life because before that point I blackout drank, but I only did it certain days or on weekends. I rarely drank in the morning. I rarely got drunk early in the day at all because I, I wanted to go out and chase girls or I wanted to go out that night. Yep. And I would get too drunk and not be able to do it or I'd be miserable. You knew that already, Jeff? Huh? You, you knew that already that, you know, like if you triggered a machine at nine o'clock, you'd be wasted or fucked up by three, for example. <laughs> well, I mean, I could. all Yeah, I mean, I could always end up going out that night, but it was a matter of could I speak without slurring? You know, yeah, yeah, did, yeah. Did, I, did I seem like an idiot? I mean, I'm a very energetic guy. And when I get to a certain point of being drunk all day. I'm just weird. I'm weird. I come across as weird. My social cues are off. You know, when I'm in my good drunk, that's all on point, yeah. you know, and especially with cocaine, my God, all your inhibitions are gone, you know, and you're just sharp. Your mind is sharp, Absolutely. you know, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm asking that because, you know, like I, I usually ask the question of, you know, like, do were there already seeds of you realizing that, you know, like you were quote unquote too much already you absolutely know, like before before the coke oh yeah 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 i mean i <clears throat> looking back yes i think we can all say looking back there were moments of clarity where i was like man this is this is kind of messing with my life a little bit but i was still i was doing so well i was a group insurance salesman i was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year as a 24 year old and, and even got up to two hundred and one thousand dollars as a 25 year old i got second place rookie of the year for a fortune 200 company um and amidst that i discovered cocaine but like 
there were brief periods where alcohol had caused problems in my life. And, and with the, some of the things in my family, I was certainly a little bit concerned about it, but, um, it wasn't causing any real problems for me. You know, it was weekend, it was weekend warrior. Um, you know, in San Diego, especially I was in a fraternity in college too, by the way, but in San Diego, Thursday night was $2. You call it. So whatever you wanted was two bucks. Friday night was just Friday night. Saturday night was Saturday night. And Sunday at all the bars in Pacific Beach, it was called rehab day and they would do cheap drinks. So like even when I didn't want to drink on Sunday, I'd end up drinking on Sunday something. And then you go into work on Monday and you can't put a thought together at all. Plus, my voice didn't work because I've been screaming all weekend at clubs. And by by Wednesday, I felt okay. You know, um, I might have had a glass of wine at night or I probably didn't sleep well Monday and Tuesday night. Some mild withdrawals from five days of four or five days of binge drinking. Um, but by Wednesday, I felt great again. I was ready for Thursday night, you know, yeah. and that's a cycle I hear a lot in these rooms. But I remember almost every Monday morning um, looking back, it was almost like a mild alcohol psychosis every Monday morning. Paranoia, you know, just that quick jerking around. um night sweats, random sweats, um, not shakes, but just, uh, jitters, jitters, you know, after four days of just binge, binge drinking. Um, but I hung around people that did that. And, and especially like in, in college, I was in a fraternity. There was always someone worse than me. There was always somebody that was crap in their pants or going home with the ugly girl or doing something stupid, you know, out of a hundred guys, there was always going to be somebody worse oh, than sure. me. It's and the, I had a 3.7 GPA. I was president of a philanthropy organization. I was on the interfraternity council. And I tell you what, I did all that stuff because it talks in the big book about the alcoholic leading a double life. But in his heart, he knows he doesn't deserve what the recognition and the things he's achieving. That was me. Yeah. I grew up in a very perfectionistic family. Look perfect, act perfect. The guys were athletes that wear suits. The women uh, were models. You know that it was just a very. Um, everyone in my family is great. They don't act that way, but there's just this unsaid perfectionism. You know. Yeah. And and Pattersons all have this A personality, energetic, like achieve, achieve, achieve. Do it right. Do it right the first time. Don't fail. And. Uh, So I I got good grades and did all these things and I was second place rookie of the year and I did all these things. So because it created this layer of nobody's going to ask me what's really going on because I was nice. I was friendly and everything on paper looked great, but I was dying inside. There's a. You, you talked about your uncle that, you know, made you experience it the first time. Um, you I don't want to demonize him at all. My no, 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 no. I mean, you know, like it was m- my my introduction to it was my uncle myself. You know, like so. You know, like yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, God bless his soul. You know, like he's gone, and you know, like but it, it, he has nothing to do with it. He just he saw it, he didn't even see it, but you know, like he pressed he pressed a button that underestimated probably. You know, <laughs> You're right. you know 14, 15 year olds, it's kind of normal to have your first drink at 14 or 15. So there was nothing abnormal about my first experience. I'm just, I'm an alcoholic. So it, it took the fear away. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you haven't spoke much about your parents um, and, and any of your siblings, if you do have any, um, but there's a long debate for the, the past year that, you know, like I've, I've been 
struggling with about nature or nurture. Um, what's what's your take on it? You know, like, do you think you you were predisposed because you said you know like I was probably an alcoholic before even having my first drink? You know, like so. My guess is that you know like you probably tend towards nature more than nurture. But um, what's your what's your guess on that? You know, having worked at a treatment center, I, I've spent two years of my life in group therapy and in treatment. So I've seen everything. Um, I know I, I can speak for myself. Um, I, I absolutely have had an addictive brain my entire life, an obsessive brain. Um, when I did anything, I did it a thousand percent. I played professional paintball and traveled all across the country when I was 16, 17 and 18. Um, so there's the adrenaline, right? Yeah. Uh, I absolutely believe there's situational drug addiction and alcoholism. Um, only because I have, I mean, look at my, a lot of my fraternity brothers, for God's sakes, were drunks in college and they have families and beautiful kids and things actually are going well, not eat, not just on the surface. They still get really drunk when they drink, but they're hard drinkers. They're not alcoholics. Yep. Um, let's call it opiate addiction. I mean, there's definitely situational opiate addiction with surgeries and everything else, but there's addiction, there's dependence, there's, you know, there's different, there's different things. Um, I know that, I know that my brain is different than other people's brains. Um, just because of, of when I have a surgery, which I've had 12, um, there's a switch that goes off in my brain when I, get that shot of morphine at the, at the, you know, after the surgery or get sent home with pain pills, there's a switch with that first drink. Um, and I feel it. I feel the switch. I feel the lights come on Yeah, and that has to be nature. Yeah. That has to be a brain issue. That's not something that I can just say, Oh, not going to happen this time. Um, and once you cross that line into real drug addiction and alcoholism, um, there, there's no occasionally having a glass of wine anymore. I could do that in college. I could do that before I was 24. I could have a glass of wine at night before bed. Sometimes I'd end up giving in and having a few, but I could do that then. When I started, when when I got to cocaine, that switch went off full bore. It, it, it amplified and accelerated my alcoholism. So I didn't suffer for 25 more years. I crammed a year and a half more of alcoholism and cocaine addiction. And it just, it was a year and a half after I did coke that I was waking up in hospitals, was having seizured out. So elaborate on that, Jeff, you know, like, so, yeah. so you, 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 you taste that, that devil dandruff and what happens, you know, like, so, so do, do you have a memory of, you know, like what, what it, you know, like what kind of, you know, like, how do you, how, you know, like, what, what's your reaction to that, you know, like, that that substance, you know, like, because, um, yeah, I mean, like, the, 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 uh, everyone a has a different story. story. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so, so in, this is real quick. In treatment, I was in a group, and they were talking about cocaine, and the therapist, we had to, like, act out the voice of cocaine to a cocaine addict. And I was behind my buddy talking like cocaine, like just do it. Just one line. Just, and my therapist said, we have to stop because the entire room was getting so excited just by how excited I was talking about cocaine because all I did was put, because I was trying to help another person with it. You know, I was trying yep. to, uh, 
I was trying to really get them tempted because it was group therapy and like it's it helps to do that. But he had this. I mean, like I got so excited just thinking about cocaine. Um, to get back to your question, <clears throat> um, I don't. I didn't do cocaine sober. I had to be drunk to do it because when I did it sober, I hated it. I didn't like it. But what cocaine allowed me to do was start drinking at any time, get as drunk as I wanted to and come back to even keel, no matter what. Um, so then I would start drinking just to do cocaine, just to get that middle feeling. And I know you know what I'm talking about, yep. where you're not too high, you're not too low, but I'll go back to, I just wasn't scared. I was just okay. The I sweet was, spot. I was, it was the sweet spot <laughs> where I just wasn't scared to live anymore. And the problem is it's just the most unsustainable thing you can do. It's so ironic brain, to say the sweet spot, you know, like, can yeah, you imagine, your brain, you know, <laughs> for a day or two, you are in the sweet spot. Yep. And the, it just doesn't work at the day three and four. You're just, you're just, you're weird. You're paranoid. You're, you know, yep. and then I got into meth later in life and I was, I think I was up for eight days once. So like I have a progressive story of I quit drinking in 2000, end of 2005. And from 2005 to 2017, I only touched a drink one time. Um, but I did pain pills alcoholically. I did Adderall alcoholically. I was shooting up bath salts. I got into shooting up meth, but I, I had periods of sobriety from 2005 to 2017. What triggered um, 2005 stop? Well, I got sober in 2005. So a year and a half after I was doing cocaine, I, I call cocaine the dam. So you do cocaine and you build a dam and you're pouring alcohol in and the dam wall is up. Like you feel good. It's holding it. Um, the damn walls holding stable. Well, eventually you either run out of money, you run out of Coke, you can't get any, the cocaine wears off and the dam breaks and you've been drinking for two, three, four days. And all of a sudden you've got a point four two blood alcohol yeah. and you, you wake, you go into basically, I don't know how you don't get blood, you know, alcohol poisoning just during, on Coke. I don't even understand how that still doesn't do it. But that happened to me. I was drunk for three weeks after a cocaine and alcohol binge. And I basically woke up in my bathtub. There was, I'd been throwing up blood for two days. Um, I had taken like four bottles of Excedrin trying to kill myself and threw all those up. Um, but I don't remember any of that. I blacked out for three weeks. I didn't go to work. I didn't, I don't even remember. Um, and I woke up in a bathtub in severe DTs. Um, I probably seizured out. I'm lucky. I may, I didn't know about treatment. I didn't know about DT. I didn't know about any of that stuff at that point. Um, and I, I ended up telling my parents, um, I needed help and I got back and I got into AA and things went well. I started dating way too early in sobriety and I wasn't emotionally ready for that. Um, got a girl pregnant. I wasn't emotionally ready for that. I wasn't ready to be a dad. I had a lot of shame about having a kid outside marriage being Catholic. Um, it was kind of my worst fear and that was two and a half years into my sobriety. Um, and I had had good sobriety. AA was fun and it was new but my neck collapsed from a neck or from a car um, wreck I'd had in California. So all of a sudden a baby's coming and I have all these crazy feelings about it. I'm in an unstable relationship. Um, my neck is killing me. And then I, I find Lortab again, you know, um, I find pain pills again. 
And uh, I'd never had an issue with pain pills. I'd had a bunch of surgeries, but I had not crossed that line yet. Yeah. You know, that was before I was 21. I'd had a bunch of surgeries, but I wasn't I wasn't an addict yet then, substance abuse-wise. Um, and I over the course of uh, – so I obviously lost my sobriety over the course of uh, a year and a half then, too. So we're looking at 2008, 2009. So I was sober 2006 to mid-2008. Um, and, uh, did you know, did you know you were breaking the, the, did you know you were breaking your sobriety when you started using the pain pills, you know, because I, I, you know, like I I don't want to elaborate too much on, you know, AA and NA and all that, but you know, like that there, there's been some fraternity that have almost kept, uh, you know, like, like an exclusive on the substance they represent, right? You know, like, yeah. so uh, both in their literature and, you know, like the people attending. So I've, you know, like I've heard, I've heard stories of people, you know, like having a little joint when, you know, like they were attending AA and saying, well, well, I'm not, yeah, exactly. I'm not breaking my sobriety because, you know, like I'm actually abstinent of alcohol. And so did you know at the time that, you know, like with, with the pain pills that you were actually breaking some walls or you know like at a point yes Um, okay at first i really was taking them for the pain and as um you know i my my tolerance just like with alcohol it's with pain meds it goes up so quickly and uh i i moved on to a pain management doctor um i didn't I started drug seeking at that point. One of my buddies went to a pain management doctor that handed him everything in the world. So I went to that guy cause I wanted the good pain management doctor. The thing is I really didn't understand opiates. I knew I was on a lot, but at one point I was up prescribed 300 milligrams of oxycodone a day and a 50, 75 or hundred microgram fentanyl patch. That's like severe cancer level opiates. So that's what I was on for, I don't know, seven or eight months. And, uh, you know, of course I justified it. Of course I was still trying to lead meetings in a, you know, in, in 12 step. I just, I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to lose that service. I, yeah. it was the only thing keeping me okay, you know, and, but you but must have been wrecked. Huh? No, huh? you must have been wrecked. Well, you do it slowly. It's not like I took that overnight no, no, for sure, because you would have been dead. Probably. Yeah. Well, wrecked. I was super happy for about four months. Like I was, I felt great. But then you, you know, my testosterone got low because opiates kill your testosterone. Um, and the voices, the chatter in my head to use and use just got louder and louder. And even when you're high, you're you're worried about when you're going to get more. Like I could have 250 oxy 30s and go. Well, this is going to last me two weeks. What am I going to do then? You know. So then I couldn't even enjoy enjoy it because it it was just such an my buddy bryce says uh being a drug addict and maintaining a drug addiction is the hardest job you will ever have is that not true (laughs) it is harder i worked at enterprise rent a car and that job was brutal but being a drug addict and maintaining that was 50 times as hard as that project management of a drug addict is a lot of work (laughs) oh the plotting and the money and the getting your doctor to give you more. And I, you know, I hadn't gotten into a needle or anything at this point. Um, I, you know, I'd snorted some in, in, in that, but, uh, I ended up having two neck surgeries and ended up in treatment for my first time. And I drank right before I went into treatment. So I hadn't drank since Oh five. Um, and then I didn't drink again. So that was 2009. I didn't drink again until end of 2016, but, um, 
I never mentally recovered from learning how all those pills, you know, because you take opiates and then you can't sleep. So they give you this pill and um, your testosterone is low. So they give you this pill and you're tired. So they give you this. I learned how to be my own pharmacist. And uh, once I learned what pill did what, um, it's the ultimate form of control, is it not? When you know what substance to take for any possible thing that you feel like. Plus, it's legal, Jeff. You know, like that's the, I mean, to top it all. It's legal. And I, it's, and I had a doctor that would give me anything I wanted. So, you know, it, it gave me power to get out of bed in the morning. Like no matter how bad I felt, I knew if I had an Adderall or um, an opiate or uh, um a benzo like i would get out of bed it gave me energy to just having the drug not even using it gave me the energy and the willingness to brush my teeth and to go to work and it just it was my higher power it was my source of energy until it wasn't <laughs> and, I, and i guess on the surface a lot of people probably would say today that they they wouldn't they wouldn't have said that you 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 had because you have such, you know, like when you feel too high, you take a bit of a downer. And then when you feel you're too low, you, you, you know, like, so there were probably people around you that didn't even know that you were having issues. Yeah. You know, the, a guy, a guy approached me in, in 12 step and said, Jeff, I know you're not okay. I know you better than this. You can't lead meetings anymore. And that was tough. My sponsee um, fired me because he's like, Jeff, I know you're not right. People that my parents obviously knew, I mean, there were days that um, I would take the same amount of opiates. Just like when you drink, some days the same amount as other days. Some days you're drunker and snot. Some days you don't feel anything. Yeah. I, I remember, I don't remember, my dad would tell me he had meetings with me. And he's like, Jeff, you just weren't there. And I, I didn't remember. I rented a car because I got in a wreck. I don't even remember picking up the car. I don't remember what location I went to. None of that. But I was completely lucid when I did it. You know, like it's just – uh it's it's insanity, but my my body eventually I, I I did real well for six months, and then I went and mowed my yard one weekend and sweat a lot, and I lost like my body just finally gave way, and I went from like 180 down to 158 in like a week and a half, and I really started to look gray and sick like really quickly. Um, so I ended up in treatment for that, and and my brain just never recovered. Um, I never felt better. I never felt okay after all those opiates. And I, I went two years back in the same job, same bad relationship, um, same cycle. Um, and I ended up, you know, tanking again. I had a neighbor that, uh, shot up oxys and, um, a lot of bad stuff happened. And I walked over there and I said, show me how to do drugs like you do. And all he had was basalts. Do you remember basalts? That crazy? I mean, I remember the news clips, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, you 15 years and they weren't around. But so basalts were just this designer next level. Um, they were way more intense than meth. They were way more intense than anything I've ever done. And so I started my needle career with basalts, which is insanity because that's a very heavy thing to start like you can't and when you say in intense translate to dangerous dangerous and it's it's out of a chinese lab you know and yeah. there were different there were different kinds of bath salts but they were just gross and and unstable and uh 
that's what I started with. So then I ended up getting into meth from there because just my arms were swollen, my veins were swollen. It was just really bad stuff. And, uh, you know, I went to Catholic private school. I was in a fraternity in college. I grew up kind of upper middle class, white guy, it, it, you know, just, I don't have street skills is what I'm saying. And my house in Tulsa became this meth den because I started buying meth from people who didn't have homes. They didn't have cars. They, I had a big X on my back and, and my home became this meth den for people I didn't even know. Um, my house got robbed constantly and long story short, I was in over my head and, and I, I bought some dope from some, a really bad guy uh, that was just out of prison, a member of the Indian Brotherhood gang here in Tulsa, a Native American gang. And all of a sudden he's driving my car and I go into a store and I come back out and my car's gone. Um, there's somebody else there. They say, get in the car. And I'm like, Oh God, my car's like, this is going to get bad. And I went to this motel. They, well, I mean, I had to, I was abducted basically at that point. And I walked in the motel and um, this six foot seven Native American and this little crazy chick were there. And the really bad guy was behind me and he pushes me in. And I just, I just, I got smacked. I went down, I covered. Um, and within a minute I was hogtied with duct tape. Um, you know, like a, like a pig basically. Um, they had a stun gun. I was getting stun gun. I was getting kicked in the back of the head. My head was slamming against the hard floor. So I was blacking out here and there. And, um, I remember them saying, we're going to rape you and kill you. And, uh, you know, in my head, um, uh, my, I was a smart ass still. I said, well, you know, go ahead and kill me, do what you want with my dead body, but I can do without the raping, you know? Um, dude was six foot seven. Can you imagine? Like I've never gone through that kind of experience, but can you imagine a, disproportionately speaking a guy? Yeah, six yeah. Foot, I mean, the six foot seven dudes trying to rape me. And I guarantee even if it wasn't big, it was way bigger than anything I wanted to exactly. ever have, you know? Yeah. So it was, uh, I, I, I got drunk years before and accidentally made out with a transvestite and I, it was crazy. I didn't mean to five foot Asian guy in California. And I can remember late, this is how messed up my brain is, man. I was laying on the floor tied up and I was sitting there going, that situation with the transvestite wasn't so bad compared to this. Like I'd take that any day. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same at the same time what was the intent they they, uh, they wanted was... they wanted ransom money um okay and they wanted time to go rob my house um i do believe that they i they've probably killed people the guy had some teardrops they were just really bad people um and they knew how to do this to somebody i knew it wasn't their first time um and uh you know they went to my house and put paraphernalia and drugs all over my house. So if I would have called the cops on them, um, they would have sent the cops to my house. The cops would have found all sorts of stuff. I would have gone to prison. They knew the game. I did not. Um, yeah. but those guys saved my life because I finally went to my parents' house. I was 125 pounds, give or take a few pounds, you know, my normal weight, like right now I'm 175. Um, I had needle mar. I just was, I was psycho. It was bad. Full psychosis. I was seeing dead bodies hanging off trees and I was talking to shadow people and seeing, seeing stuff that wasn't there, talking to people that weren't there. 
uh, crawling through my attic, cleaning vacuums. You know, I, I saw a bush goblin run around the neighborhood. It's just, dude, you name it. It's meth. Come on. Yeah. So I, I finally uh, agreed to go to Arizona to a long-term treatment center called the Prescott House. Um, and I basically like woke up out there and detox, but I went through a very rigorous men's program. It was just, it was super intense and it's, I, I, it took me six months to get my brain back, but I was in that treatment center for 11 months. Um, rebuilt my life. Um, I was a cashier. I rode a bicycle around town. I, you know, I'd owned nine new cars in my life and I rode a bicycle and I ended up buying a, um, $850 1996 Corolla with 210,000 miles on it. And I tell you what, I was so grateful for that damn car because I wasn't riding a bicycle with a tie on going to work anymore, you know? And like, I was more grateful for that car than I've ever been for any of my Mercedes, any of the stuff. I don't have a Mercedes now, but I had had one, you know? Um, and I was just grateful to have a roof over my head. Um, I was great. I, I rebuilt my life and I was sober about four years and, um, ended up moving to Phoenix and I, you know, I got involved in a bad relationship. I had, uh, some surgeries, um, had another pregnancy that was unexpected during all that. And I, I lost, I lost everything really quick. You know, I lost my job, my family all but disowned me, um, because of, I was a tornado. I did it again. You know, they paid this money for me to go to treatment. Um, I had done so well in life. And I just tanked it all away again. And it was just too much for them, I believe. It was too hard on them. Um, But I I ended up uh, suicidal for the first – besides the Excedrin when I was drunk, I think when I finally got to the point where I just wanted to die with every cell in my body, um, some real grace came in, you know. And uh, I went back to treatment with the last bit of hope that I had, because I knew this little boy wasn't going to have anybody if I didn't, I didn't do it for me at that point. I just did it because I knew that with the condition of his mother, um, having lived with her at that apartment, um, she was not sober during the pregnancy. It was just, it was, the whole thing was an absolute nightmare. Um, and I gave up hope, you know, I couldn't stay sober. She couldn't stay sober. Um, and it was, it was just the definition of chaos. It was horrible. Like it was an absolute black hole. And a disaster scenario. Yeah. I mean, I'm a branch manager for enterprise rent a car, helping run sky Harbor airport, fourth largest rental operation in the world. And, um, I'm battling trying to stay sober amidst a chaotic job. Um, a girl that's threatening suicide, trying to commit suicide at home, cutting yourself, using meth and drinking with the baby. Um, there's meth and alcohol at home every night when I get home from work. You know, I put together maybe a week, two weeks sober, three weeks sober, and I'd finally give in because I would get so pissed off and I would just end up relapsing. And um, trying to balance all that was just awful. And I put together 34 days of sobriety. And I remember um, I went out to eat with her and I was just miserable with her miserable. I wasn't right in the head still, you know, 34 days into it, my brain chemistry was just, was, it was just terrible. And, uh, I said, let's get, you know, let's get fucked up again. And, uh, that started a two week binge for me. And I ended up, uh, uh, overdosing and woke up two days later. I've overdosed like three times, but, um, I don't, I woke up two days after in a pile of my own fluids. Um, 
I started a job at GoDaddy and, you know, I'd been up for four days and I fell asleep for a few hours, went to that job. And I'm sitting in this room with all these straight laced people trying to like learn about how the internet works. You know, I had no idea. And I'm just, I'd done a blast of meth that morning. Like I was, I'm sitting in a chair for nine hours like this, just trying to be normal. And I, I tell you what, I mean, you probably remember when you're drunk and high all the time and you're out in society, trying to act normal is so exhausting. It is just, you're just trying to not have your eyes shake or have your breath smell or you're just trying not to ask weird questions or, you know, you're just, it's God, it's just the paranoia is terrible. And so, uh, I did that job for a week and, uh, I just, I, like I said, I got suicidal and, uh, long story short, I ended up crawling back up to the treatment center that I went to. Um, I'd sponsored two of the guys on the staff at one point. Here I am, you know, I'd been like Mr. Recovery and Prescott, you know, I'd sponsored all these guys and, you know, that was my whole deal. Yeah. And I crawl back up to, uh, Prescott, go through the same treatment center. Um, I tell you, man, if you want something real raw, um, the night before, uh, the night when I was going to detox, um, she, she looked at me and she said, um, you're gonna, you're gonna shoot me up. And I said, I'm not, you're pregnant. I'm not, I'm not doing it. And she said, well, if you don't shoot me up, as soon as you go to detox, I will walk out on the streets of Phoenix and I will find somebody to do it for me. And I knew she would have no doubt in my mind. So I went to D right before I went to detox, I helped her do it. And I tell you what, that was one of the lowest points of my life is when I, I helped my pregnant girlfriend shoot meth, you know, and, uh, the shame and guilt that I brought into detox and, and Prescott house because of that, um, was real tough for me to get over. But I, I realized, what do you do in that kind of scenario? What do you do when you know that somebody that wants to destroy herself with your child in her um, is, is going to find somebody to do it for her. If you don't like, yeah. what do you do? Like, I mean, and I was tore out of my mind. I had a 0.38 blood alcohol and I shot a gram of meth before I walked into detox. I wasn't exactly right in the head either. Yeah. So that was a real low point for me. Um, but I, I've healed from it. I don't feel bad about any of that anymore. You know, that wasn't my fault. I mean, it really wasn't. I, I, I picked the lesser of the evils. The devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't, you know, exactly. And, uh, plus, you know, I, you know like what was the, you know, like, I mean, at that point, you know, like what's the other option, you know, like the other option is death, right? You know, like there's, there's, there's nothing else I'm guessing. But that was the scenario I was in that, that embodied that, what I just told you and the reason I told you it is because that embodied the situation in that apartment with her, um, the chaos, the destruction, um, the dynamic that embodied that. And, and it, it, it makes sense now that that was the last point of that because it, that just, that, that encompassed all of it, you know, but yeah. so I went to treatment and, uh, I had another surgery and treatment, so they helped me with the pain meds, which was great. But I ended up, uh, I, I just hated her. I was so mad at her for everything, for, you know, all of it. Um, 
but I knew that something bad was going to happen with her. So I went to the birth. Um, we kind of tried to make things work for a few months. She was sober for a couple months after she had the baby and she was actually really pleasant to be around. You know, when she was sober, she was wonderful, wonderful person. Um, but I ended up with, I ended up with my son. So, um, I have two sons. I have a 12 year old and a two year old, but I, I flew back to Tulsa to, to visit my other son who I hadn't seen since the relapse. And, uh, she tried to kill herself while I was in Tulsa and put the baby in danger. So when I flew back to Arizona, I had to pick up my three month old child and move him up. So she was in Phoenix. I was in Prescott They're an hour away. So I had to pick him up and basically move him in with me overnight. And I just, uh, I was really overwhelmed. Like I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know how to raise a three month old, but, um, we, we talked earlier about kind of a divine presence and there was this voice of calm inside me that just said, you, you're going to be just fine. I promise. And, and I tell you what, man, like my life since that moment, um, has been a series of God showing off in a way, um, from, from little old ladies in AA volunteering to help me raise him for, for the first few years and be his grandmothers out in Arizona. And they'd watch him so I could go to meetings. They would watch him on the weekend so I could go to the gym and just practice some self care. And, you know, um, it's just, I ended up getting a job with the treatment center I went to as, as their marketing guy. And they would basically pay for me to fly to Tulsa and leave my son with my family. My family really didn't want to talk to me at that point, but they wanted to know my son. And so they would fly me back to Tulsa. I would leave them with my family and travel for work because I, I did outreach and marketing. So I would travel to other treatment centers and, and try to get them to send us people and make relationships. And over the course of the last few years, I was able to rebuild my relationship with my family who, like I said, it all but disowned me. And, uh, I just couldn't have written that any better. Like what kind of job would have allowed me to do that? You know, yeah. um, and, and I've never wanted anything more than to be with my family. I mean, I, I always laugh and say, I got, I was like Napoleon. I got exiled to the Isle of Elba, Prescott, Arizona with 45,000 people. It's a cowboy town full of retirees and rehab people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And so that's where, but you know what? I wasn't fit to live in the world anymore with those experiences. Um, I had not shown any signs of being able to be a functioning adult. Uh, Plus you were drenched in recovery all the time. Yeah. in Prescott, well, in Prescott, the whole, the whole town, there's like 4,000 people in recovery there and 45,000 people in the town and meetings everywhere. So, and there's not drug dealers on every corner. So it was just a safe place, you know, and then I moved from Prescott to Phoenix and everything happened with Lincoln's mother, you know, so like Prescott really was the only place that was suitable for me for yeah eight years until, you know, everything happened. But, um, the cool thing is like, you know, I, I always laugh and say, uh, I got out of treatment and eight days out of treatment, I got handed a three month old baby and I laugh and I, and I tell the guys in treatment, I go, whatever you're going home to, I don't want to hear you complain unless you're getting handed an infant to raise on your own. I don't want to hear it, man. Because like that was a lot, you know, um, I skipped the whole, like, here's your plant. Here's your dog. Here's a girlfriend. Keep the plan alive. Keep the dog alive. Have her. Yeah. I skipped all that and went right to the baby thing. But I tell you what, it saved my life, man. Like, I was so resent. I, I did not enjoy being a father for the first year um, because I just 
the whole situation was just so messed up and I had so it was just so resentful. I was so mad at everything. You almost know? too much, actually. You know, like not almost. It was it probably was too much. You know, well, like that, uh, Yeah, and he was her. I mean, every time I looked at him, it was her and she's just going spiraling downhill still. She's getting beat up by drug dealers and, and doing what women do for drugs. And um, it was heartbreaking for me because I just uh, it was a, another opportunity for a family that wasn't going to be there. And uh, I had to let her go. And I tell you what, drugs and alcohol were hard, but there was nothing like letting go of, of, of Lincoln's mom. It was the most heart wrenching, gut wrenching thing I've ever done, man. It was it was brutal. Um, and I got to a point about a year, a, a year I had I'd have Lincoln about a year. And I got to the jumping off place again, where I was traveling by myself and I was miserable and uh, I was going to use or I was going to kill myself or I was going to get well. And uh, I can only say it was a Holy Spirit moment. God came and he said, you need help. You need a therapist. You need to get a different sponsor. You need to connect to life again because you're miserable and you're pissed off and it's going to kill you. And I remember, and I just started sobbing, you know, and I, for the first time in my life, God gave me the, the Holy spirit gave me this clear plan and I actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually I, he gave you, he gave you a choice. He did, which is, but I've never made that choice before. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, which is, yeah. Which make, Which makes the situation odd, you know, because, you know, like you, you, you probably were given that choice prior, Many but times. you didn't exactly, but you just either didn't see it or you just decided, well, fuck it, you know, like, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and, and chose the wrong path. Um, the, the beauty of that time is that, um, And, and I guess, you know, like there was a lot of shit at stake, you know, like that you couldn't, um, you couldn't just throw it all away and say, you know, but like, I had well, before, but I had done yeah, that before. I had to leave my yeah. four year old to go get well in Prescott. I had, I had to abandon being his father and being present. I mean, I stayed in touch with him, but I had that before and I, and I did throw it away. However, I wasn't as involved with Jackson as I have been with Lincoln, you know, Lincoln's been all mine, but you're right. I mean, um, there was too much to lose. And there is a, just so much power, um, good power, not like power, power. Um, yeah. there's so much power God gives you when a little life is responsible is, is counting on you for everything. It's, God just gives it to you, man. Like, you know, in, in the, and I tell everyone, uh, changing his diaper every day, not now. because he's almost three. It, it's the same experience every morning to walk into his room and know that he has a 12 pound diaper on, right? Because it's full yeah. of everything. I knew how I was doing spiritually by how I saw that experience each morning. Did I get mad at him for being a, a little baby and having a soiled diaper and inconveniencing me? Did I not care about any of it? Or was I grateful to walk in to see that little boy smiling at me? And, you know, I tell you what, that turned into a real blessing because it really gave me a gauge for how I was doing spiritually and mentally. Just do I get mad at him for being a, a baby? You know, like, yeah. And I tell you what, anytime I get upset with any, any of my sons it, in anything, really, it's just because. I have a motive and I'm selfish and there's something I want to do that I don't get to do. And 
damn that little kid for keeping me from getting to go to the gym or getting to go fishing or, and I laugh at it now, man, because like anytime I get mad at him, it's just because there's some selfish thing that I want to do that I don't get to do. And it's funny to me now, you know, cause yeah. I see that. I didn't see any of that for years, man. <laughs> I'm, oh, not, exactly. I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so egocentric, right? You know, like we're, we're, we're such egocentric individual that yeah. you're like, if we don't identify this as you did, which is probably a, such an eye opener, uh, to realize that, oh shit, this is my barometer of how self-centered I am. Yeah. Every morning. It's like Every watching morning. the weather. It's like watching the weather on your phone. Yeah. Like it's going to yeah, rain yeah, today. Yeah. Oh, 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 look <laughs> at that. I'm an asshole this morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, but you know, it, that's, it, it turns into those little blessings like that, you know? And yeah, the, the, I, I, you know, my motto, like um, on Instagram, you saw God had handled, you know, I actually copyrighted that. And, and I, I give these wristbands out to homeless people and I get to do some cool stuff. And, we're going to be doing some outreach to schools for addiction awareness. Uh, my, my buddy Marcus and I, um, so I have a God and handled project that I'm working on. That's just basically mental health outreach, um, awareness to people, you know, that, that need, that need to know about this stuff. Um, not from a 12 step standpoint, but from a recovery standpoint. And I just, uh, I have a real passion for helping single parents. I mean, I went from a guy completely incapable of taking care of himself that, that put his son in danger that shot dope in the room next to my four-year-old, you know, like it had sketchy people over with, I, I have been the dangerous father. I have been the irresponsible, reckless, dangerous, awful father. I loved my son, but I was an addict. Yeah. And now, um, you can't get from here to here without God's grace because I mean, like now I, this isn't bragging. This is just me and all like, I helped start two ministries in Prescott. Um, I raised this little boy on my own and, and I have a lot of help. So I, I don't want to say on my own, but like the fact that he has all his, his toes and his fingers and he's, you know, like he's alive and he's well and he's happy and he's doing, nobody's more shocked about it than I am. Believe me. Like I, exactly. I couldn't take care of myself and here's this little human, you know, that's alive. And, and my, my family finally forgave me and, and, uh, you know, like I, I ended up getting a job offer out of the blue from a guy that I met in Arizona a couple times that moved back to Tulsa. And he said, what would you think about coming back and doing this job? And I was like, there's my bridge back to Tulsa. There's there it is. Like I got it handled. God is just God is just shown off. He's just and you can hear it. My story from the job I got to you know, getting out of treatment and having the, it, there's just, uh, there's just so much. And I've had like, um, some financial blessings along the way. I was never expecting that allowed me to just be a dad and be a, 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 a sober member of 12 step and, and, and contribute, you know, and, um, I don't have That's real good. lofty goals today. I, uh, my ex, you know, I, if I go to bed at night and I'm sober, and my, my sons are alive, healthy, well, and, you know, not disfigured or something. <laughs> it's yeah. been a good day. Like some days going to bed sober, just that has to be enough some days. It is. Yeah. It is a blessing itself. It, exactly. That has to be, no matter how the expectations I set for myself or you set for yourself, no matter how crappy the day was, no matter what happens, if I go to bed sober, um, 
and I've helped maybe helped somebody that day. Like I always say, if I uh, pray, help someone, um, and, and don't cause any harm for the day, then that's a great day. That has to be a great day for absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No matter and how so, bad. <laughs> you, you, you know, like the, the, um, pretty much like the, the last question I got for you is, and you pretty much answered it, but you know, like, how are you doing today? You know, like uh, um, with a few hundred hours and thousands of hours in. On, about three and a half that, years. The exactly. Time. Yeah, I got about three and, and a half so years. <laughs> with with three and a half years in, um, what is you know, how are you today, Jeff? You know, like that 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 that's pretty much like the. But you just answered it. You know, like sure. the, you counting the blessings and you know identifying the 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 beauty of little things. You know, I think sometimes is pro- probably what saves us. You know, like yeah. that the um, seeing. Um. Yeah, I mean, like that. For me, like that. The question is, like I said, you know, like you pretty much answered it. But you know, like, to, to tell me, you know, like that. You know, like, how do you? Oh, well, you. I got you, you, you. No, you, I do. I, I totally you, can answer you, that. And you covered it all. No. You know, like you said, your gratitude. Daily I just moved. Thing, home. Like, I just was yeah. able to fulfill my promise to my son that I would be back in his life full time again. You know, like I promised him that I would move somewhere close. You know, and um, I've made amends with my family. Like those bridges have been rebuilt, and my sisters talk to me, and um, um, I never thought like I. They wrote me letters, and I mean, it was. I just never thought I'd be back with my family, and you know, my my little boy is. Uh, has been the bridge back for that. And, and my little boy has taught me how to love again. He's taught me how to like, you know, I, I, for years, I could think I love somebody. Um, I, I could think about steps or this or that, but I didn't feel anything inside, no matter if I was sober or drunk. I just, my, nothing translated from my head to my heart. Nothing. I just couldn't feel anything. I knew it but I couldn't feel it. And yep. today I still struggle with that sometimes, but I, I can actually feel love today. And that's pretty cool. You know, like I, I'm just, I'm kind of in awe, um, of, of being back here in Tulsa. Um, and I'm kind of in awe of thinking about, you know, the guy that was 33 years old, shot out, um, riding a bicycle around Prescott, working for $7 and 92 cents an hour. And, you know, now I get to do community, I'm the community outreach director for sober living here. And, and I love every, I love the guys I work with. Um, I get to, I don't know, man, I just moved in. It's I've owned two homes, but I was, I, I did a post yesterday. You may or may not have read it, you may not have seen it, but I just moved into an apartment and, and I have not had central heat and air, two bathrooms. Um, I have not had a balcony, a washer dryer, um, storage space drawer drawers in the bathrooms to put your stuff in i haven't had any of that stuff in over four years some of it eight years you know because i've lived in apartments or i've been in treatment or i you know lived in these crappy little places because i couldn't afford anything and i just moved into this place and it's like got all this stuff and it's just stuff i get it i don't care about that yeah, you know sure but it's still like you know it's it's uh those are life's gifts. They are. You said the little things in my post yesterday said it's the little things because I'm just walking around in this apartment with all this extra space and drawers and my little boy loves it. Just going, I didn't even realize I missed 
space. And you know, I didn't even realize I missed half of this stuff because I was happy for the last few years and I just yeah. didn't care. But now that it's back, I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, like that's a Absolutely. pretty cool thing. And we're going to be buying a house in six to 12 months. And, um, I get to see my family. I don't, I mean, I just, uh, I don't have any real things to complain about today. Like every problem I have, even, even stuff that most people will get really upset about, at least I'm not tied up on a floor being almost raped by a six foot seven native American. You know, at least I'm not being, at least I'm not waking up dope sick. And at least I'm not seizuring out in the bathtub or having my family write me disownment. Let, like, dude, that's all perspective. Like nothing really bugs Absolutely. me. I get upset a little bit, but dude, like nothing is as bad as, you know, accidentally making out with a transvestite, and not finding out in a good way. And like, no, no, dude, there's just, like, I think back and I'm like, why would I get upset about the things today? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Always remember where you come from. You know, like, it's, it's a great saying. You know, like, if, if you, you know, like I was on all fours looking for a screwdriver in a fucking minivan on a psychotic crisis, you know, yeah. like, the, the, you know, yeah. when I called my dad and said, life is fucking against me, you know, like, yeah. I'm going to die, you know, like, just victim, and victim, if I victim. remembered. Victim, yeah, victim, and if victim. I remember, yeah, and if I remember that, I mean, I'm 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 living a fantastic life. <laughs> well, you, dude, you glow. I can see you glow right here, dude. I love it, man. You're, I'm I'm just like you know, I've made eye contact on here, but like you've got to yeah. glow about you've got to glow about you, dude. You've you've I've got to tell you, you've been my inspiration. You. You've been my inspiration for today, just talking to you, man. So that's that was great chat. You know, like the the last thing I'm gonna ask you, Jeff, is where can people find you? You talked about got it ended. Um, sure enough, you know, like at, you know, like you're gonna send my way everything so that the episode description is gonna see. You know, like you 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 listeners gonna find everywhere where you can find Jeff. But you know, like just before we we end this uh, recording, you know, like tell people where they can find you sure. and, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I, you know, and I don't obviously do this for any kind of personal promotion, but I, I do put, um, I do put bits and bits of pieces, like, you know, the, the small things thing I just talked about. And yep. I've talked about getting tied up on social media because inevitably when I do stuff like that, it helps somebody. So if anyone's interested in just kind of keeping up with like, single dad funny stuff because I post a lot about being a single dad, the struggles and the funny things and finding poopy diapers in the wash. And um, yep. I'm AZ Sooner fan, um, like AZ Arizona Sooner fan on Instagram. God, it handled G-O-D. It handled um, is my other account. And then, uh, you know, just Jeff Patterson, G-E-O-F-F on Facebook. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm, I'm going to be doing a testimonial based website for God had handled kind of stories of hope, um, and doing some cool stuff, but having just moved and everything, it's just, it's taken some time. So right now oh, for for my sure. God had handled, I've got some cool wristbands that I hand out to homeless people and people I feel just need a little bit of hope. So, you know, I do that kind of stuff right now and I'm just giving myself a break. I don't have to change the world today. Um, this was my, you know, but it's, I just do little things today. I just want to help help somebody today. That's, that's precisely <laughs> inspiration and influence comes in little things. You know, like that's why you know, like for, again, you know, like for the listeners, um, Jeff is going to send me, you know, like all all the links to 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 find him. Um, and again, you know, like you know, like just by hearing your story and and seeing that you know, like today after going through all that roller coaster of shit, actually. Um, that you you're you're having a great life. I mean, like that's that's plenty inspiration for anyone that has listened to it this far. You know, like it's just 
It's fucking crazy, Jeff. I'm, I'm like, grateful it's a... that I didn't get what I deserved in life. Honestly, like with the things that I've done, yeah. and I, I didn't even get into some of the illegal things I did because I'm just not putting that out there right now. But you know, yeah. like, I just I don't you know with four overdoses and everything that it, and and just the chaos and destruction I caused in people's lives, like our God, higher power, whatever is just so forgiving and so loving because like, I, I shouldn't be alive and I certainly shouldn't be in a position to help people. I shouldn't, I just shouldn't, I, I'm just grateful because I don't, I don't truly deserve any of the stuff that's going on in my life, man. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. And you know, I think a lot of us, um, feel the same, you know, like that, that there's definitely something, call it an higher power or something that, you know, like has giving us way too, way more chances that we probably at some point yeah. deserved, you know, and, um, but we have a responsibility, you know, having survived and gone through, like, I just, yep. you know, there are people that, um, will look at a podcast like this. There are people that will look at a testimonial post and say, oh, you're self-seeking. And I'm just sitting there going. If that's how you want to see it, that's okay. I feel an overwhelming responsibility just being alive and being a dad and um, having the blessings I have today to be vulnerable and put myself out there. And if it helps one person, like we said, dude, it's totally worth any criticism or anything. If it helps one person go, damn, like, yeah, I can do this too. Like, I can get well, I can be a dad, I can, you know, any of it. So, and there's a great saying that says, you know, it's by giving back that I'm keeping what I have. Yeah. You know, like, and so, and so I, you know, I base the, you know, like the, 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 the creation and the, 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 the availability of that podcast across a bit of that saying, you know, like, and, and, you know, like a testimonial like this and, you know, posts, posts like, so many that I see on social media with my, you know, my cold turkey podcast account on Instagram, for example, you know, like my guess is that, you know, like the, there may be in there some people that, you know, like they want the, the publicity and the flashing of it, the flashiness of it all. Well, fuck it. You know, like may as well, if it inspires someone good, you know, I can, and, and well, you, you know, know a, rich, got, a rich person that donates a hospital or donates a library and they want their name on it. It's not my business why they did it. They're still helping a ton of people. And I'm like, you know what? Exactly. I don't care if somebody's motive. I don't care if somebody is helping somebody. So somebody else sees it. That's between them and, and their higher power. Exactly. Ultimately, like fake it till you make it. If you're helping people just to show off, that's fine because you're still helping people. And eventually you're going to learn to love it. You will. Exactly. You'll learn yeah. it. You'll learn to love it. I had a sponsor that asked me every day, who'd you help today? Who'd you help today? And forever, I just did it to give him an answer. And then I started to love opening doors for old ladies. And I started to love leaving 20 bucks at a gas station for a homeless person for, you know, I would, I, I started to love little random acts Absolutely. and seeing the light come on in people's eyes when you help them or when they get sober, dude, that's the juice, man. That's the good stuff in life. And it, and it, apply any, any tips of your sober program to any aspect of your life. You know, like that's the other thing, you know, like I, I realized that, um, I have been, taught how to live pretty much yeah and when i apply that in other aspects of my life you know like i'm 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 i win you know like so thanks a million times jeff you know like it was an awesome ride it was fantastic um um i you know like i i 
people that are avid listeners are going to be fed up of me saying that, but you know, like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a nobody pretty much. You know, like I'm an unknown that appears in your spam or undesired message on the social media. Dude, which you're, I helping, you're helping lives, man. I, I have absolutely <laughs> loved this. I, I feel like I could go run four miles right now, just based off the energy we put out to each other. And, um, if you need any help with anything, like, like I said, I have some access to some people that, you know, sex addiction, different things. I'm happy to ask them. I don't know if they'll do it, um, but I, I can, you know, I can help with some things. If you ever need it, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I, I will absolutely help you in whatever way I can. I promise. We'll, we'll be keeping in touch for sure. And uh, again, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll talk uh, pretty soon. Thank okay. you. God bless you. Have a good Take night, care. buddy.